for launch in three, two, one. Go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Seipt. I must be louder. And site expert Stephen Kabitza. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. This DJ is so funky, man. Okay, let's go. We here at the Dog Pound Daily Podcast had very little optimism heading into this Sunday's game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Cleveland Browns proved us right, turning the ball over at every given opportunity to do so. I'm Stephen Kabitza, joined by Andrew Seipt. Andrew, I texted you before the game, and I said the Browns were going to win 44-10. to I was trying to just get myself a little psyched up. Did you have any hope they would win? No, I wasn't having it. Even when the score was 10-7, it was just one of those games where offensively the Browns were not moving the ball. They weren't running the ball effectively. I don't even think they were really trying to. I mean, they had 11 carries from running backs, and you know it was just one of those days where the offense really didn't have it. Offense didn't have it. Jabril Peppers had trouble catching punts. The defense played well. They were on the field for over 35 minutes, I believe, yeah, and they I technically mean, only gave up 13 points because the last uh, – Six, yeah, because they went for two and didn't get it. The last six came on a Deshaun Kaiser strip sack that was recovered for a touchdown. So the defense, led by James Burgess and Miles Garrett, played very well. But as usual, as we've seen for over a decade, the offense couldn't do anything. Yeah, it's it's just frustrating. I mean, Fournette, you know that you knew you were going to get a heavy dose of Leonard Fournette with Blake, the or the Jaguars not wanting to give. Blake Bortle put the ball in Blake Bortle's hands that many times and they did a decent job at containing him you know he never broke that one big run that you know after you wear down a defense for so long you almost anticipate that but the defense held strong they were really you know there were a couple times where I think they'd want to they'd rather get off the field on third down in certain situations but when you're out there on the field that long you know those are the kind of things that tend to happen the difference today was you know Blake Bortles was really trying hard to turn the ball over but Deshaun Kaiser tried a little harder and continued to turn the ball over, but it's not surprising at all at this point. No, I mean, Blake Bortles gave Deshaun Kaiser the advice and said, you know, <laughs> do your best to keep the ball on your side of the field or with your team. And he definitely, like you said, didn't do that today. And that's, that's going to be where we continue to see whether this team improves or not, because as we saw last week, there really wasn't a turnover that really cost them, you know, it was, I think I don't even remember the exact situation, but looking back at the end of the game, it wasn't something that, you know, it's completely derailed what they were trying to do versus today. I mean, it was the first freaking first play of the game, right? Or very close to it when they Kaiser got picked off. Or maybe it was right after they either way, it's it, it's tough for the Browns to get off to a start like that when you're constantly giving the ball back to the other. Well team. the Browns started with a three and out. It was That's on their right. second drive where it was a pick after the defense forced the Jags to punt as well on a day when punts were plenty on both sides yeah kaiser came out after it was kind of the theme of the day defense makes some nice stops may allow a few first downs but they get the ball back and then immediately turned over and it's unfortunately at this point it's very expected i'd say when they get down in the red zone i'm awaiting and i think what the takeaway i had from watching it's just a lot of plays where it's a weak play action. Defense doesn't bite. Kaiser turns around and immediately stares down where he's throwing to. He's throwing to a spot. 
And that's resulted in several interceptions. Well, the thing I don't get about that, too, I, I know exactly what play you're talking about. It's the Telvin Smith interception. I mean, how are you supposed to sell a play-action fake when you don't actually run the ball or are effective at doing so? I mean, the defense has no reason to bite on that fake, especially when it's as poorly executed as that fake was. It was almost so lackadaisical that it didn't even look like play-action. So, again, this there's got to be things that – this team does perfect, like Hugh Jackson said, that they're going to have to win. And, so, again, turning the, turning the ball over five times is definitely not something that's going to get it done. Yeah, I understand the view of, you know, we're going to have to play a near-perfect game. But maybe just don't turn the ball over five times, even twice or three times. I think the whole, oh, you know, we, we lost again, but we're such a bad team. We have to play a perfect game. It's like you had a chance to drive down the field, end of the game, pick up a win. Can't, can't even hold on to the ball. So it, I, I understand where he's coming from with that, but, I mean, five turnovers Well, it's not his fault insane. they're turning it over. Is it Hugh Jackson's fault they're turning the ball over? I mean, it, how Some can you of those play it? calls don't seem to – I mean, I don't know. We're not he's in, not, in again, the – Again, he's not the one going out there and carrying the ball. I'm not saying Hugh Jackson's a great coach, but, yeah, they do have to play near perfect to win because they don't have a quarterback that can make the intermediate throws. He's 16 of 32 again today, which is 50% completion percentage. That's awful in the NFL. Two interceptions, two fumbles, five sacks, 179 yards, and he did have a nice touchdown to Duke Johnson. But, again, we're not getting quarterback play good enough – to win football games. And that's where when he says they have to be perfect, they they can, as we saw last week, they can afford to be a little less than perfect if they're getting competent quarterback play. And the reason they have to get perfect quarterback play is because they can't get good quarterback play out of Deshaun Kaiser. Just like last week though, there were a few flashes, which is kind of all we can really look for right now. A nice touchdown pass to Duke Johnson. Pretty nice throw. But then I a play that really stands out to me, uh, it was toward the end of the game. When Kaiser let it rip downfield through a wounded duck pass, Seth DeValve luckily got up and ball was deflected out. But when he let go of that ball, it's like, all right, you know, going for it. Then you look downfield and it's like, what was that? It's just there yeah. seems to be no – like when he, when he makes throws like that and it's not intercepted, it's, there, it's like there's an interception or fumble coming. Yeah, I mean, he escaped the pocket pretty nicely and it was almost one of those throws where when you, re- when you wind up like that, you hope that – you see it from Aaron Rodgers all the time where there's somebody wide open running behind the defense. And unfortunately that definitely wasn't the case, or at least maybe it was. And with that wounded duck, like you said, that he threw up there, you know, that, that gives the defense a little bit of time to catch up. But I, I just think with Deshaun Kaiser, the negative is, is far outweighing the positive. He's not growing in areas that you would expect a quarter, a rookie quarterback might, you know, in, in 10 weeks, he's still not an accurate passer. He wasn't at the combine when he was doing individual drills against nobody. He's still turning the ball over, both in the red zone and in inopportune times on the Browns side of the field. I just don't see enough from Kaiser. At least, you know, we saw a little bit last week, and I was curious to see how it would translate into this week, and obviously it didn't translate very well. It's just another, I mean, another thing I think we're all used to. It's bringing a new guy, same old story. Wait for next year. I I agree with your evaluation of Kaiser. There's obviously he's done nothing. They haven't won a game, so there's been nothing he's done to really change it. I don't know the direction they're going. I assume they'll take a quarterback, but at the same time, if they stuck with him based on just the flashes he's shown, I wouldn't be shocked either. 
Yeah, I, I don't think you have any. Uh, as a front office person, I would think there's no confidence that, that Deshaun Kaiser is the guy. Uh, he, he could you know, turn it around, you know, when Josh Gordon comes back. We saw what happens when you put at least a halfway decent wide receiver out there in Corey Coleman. He had, you know, 11 targets today, caught six balls for 80 yards. Probably one of the more consistent wide receiver outings that we've had in a long time, as long as he can stay on the field. Ricardo Lewis continues to drop balls. I mean, aside from Corey Coleman and Duke Johnson, everyone else had one catch for 15 yards or less. So that just goes to show how little talent he's working with. But even that doesn't make up for some of the overthrows and some of the inaccurate throws that we saw today, especially, you know, for turnovers. Another thing that stands out, which you kind of touched on a bit, is the running game. Take away Kaiser's five rushes for 22 yards. Crowell only had 11 carries for 18 yards. Duke Johnson had two carries for 10 yards. Duke Johnson, and then in the receiving game, had six targets, four catches, and a touchdown. I joked coming into the game that I think we both did that, you know, Hugh Jackson, it's going to be snowy and sleeting. He's going to call 50 passes, 32. But do you think today's lack of running was more because they were ineffective early on or it's just the way it's going to be? That's just his play calling. Well, I I just think it was a mixture of inefficiency by Isaiah Crowell and just the fact that Jacksonville's defense is pretty good. You know, I I put in my notes here there was – uh, it was like right after a 17-yard pass from Coleman, you know, in the second half, and it was like <laughs> Jacksonville D living up to the hype, and then they proceeded to sack Kaiser, uh, make it third and 17, and then force another three and out or another fourth down punt for the Browns. But no, I, I think the Jacksonville just D did a really good job of exploiting the left tackle position. Uh, Spencer Drango got beat quite a few times, and to be honest, I just don't think Kaiser was ever really comfortable looking back there, looking at. wide receivers that aren't open you know and that that uh, Jaguar secondary being pretty darn good so I think it was just a tough game all around for the offensive side of the ball wasn't uh wasn't as bad as Deshaun Gibson predicted 40 to nothing but after this game or before it Deshaun Gibson former Browns said the Browns are going to go 0 and 16 next week they're going to Cincinnati who already embarrassed the Browns this season are you still holding out hope of a win this year. Yeah, I mean, you texted me and said that you thought they might win right before the game started, and I wasn't confident, but they started the game the way that teams needing a win should start. I mean, they had a 50-yard return by days to start the game and then proceeded to have a three and out and walk away with nothing, but then turned around right back and got a turnover and had great field position to start again and threw a pick to start that possession immediately. So, defensively they're doing the right things but until that quarterback position improves week to week I just can't I can't envision a win at this point I'll make a bold claim and say that if Aaron Rodgers is not back on December 10th the Browns will beat the Packers he'll probably come back just for that game so they don't lose to the no I'm not kidding because there's that's that that would be the kind of game that gets McCarthy fired you know if they go out and lose to to the Owen whatever they would be Browns at that point don't you think 12 Owen 12 at that point yeah because they got shut out today against Baltimore at home in Lambeau yeah they have so the the Browns excuse me they have so many winnable games left on the schedule and including this past game against Jacksonville I mean decent quarterback play wins you this game quarterback play from a guy like Josh McCown gets you a victory in today's game you just you can't afford to be that inaccurate 
on top of the fact that you're going to turn the ball over five times, it's just or four times, excuse me, it's just not a recipe to win in the NFL. And unfortunately, Hugh Jackson's finding that out now, and we'll see how that translate translates moving forward, whether or not he's still the Browns coach and what progress comes in next year if that is the case. It's crazy because knowing the Browns, and the, I mean, not knowing the Browns, but being a Browns fan for so long, it's scary because you're like, all right, you know, I don't really want them to blow up the whole thing, but it could happen one day where Jimmy Haslam's like, yeah, t- for example, talk to Peyton Manning, he's coming in, we're firing Hugh Jackson, Greg Williams is the interim coach now. It's like everything well, we talk about and all the progress and stuff we talk about is just blown up. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get what coming in and firing Hugh Jackson would do right away. Other Me than- neither. I mean, it wouldn't make much sense. That's why it's most likely going to be an end-of-the-year thing. But speaking of Jimmy Haslam, a report from Ian Rappaport today came out that Jimmy and D. Haslam, along with Hugh Jackson, had a, a meeting with the players, kind of outlining, I would assume, their frustrations or trying to talk through you know, what's going on with the team, having such a terrible start to the season and already having a 1-15 season under their belt. Steven, do you, with looking away from today's game, you know, what what do you think that does for the locker room and and say about the coaching staff and or front office? I think it was just a reminder that like, hey, you know, we we still believe in you guys. We're not going to come in and keep letting. It. I mean, I I don't know because I did see a thing where it said, oh, Sasha Brown wasn't in this meeting. Does that mean anything? I don't think so because I think it was a team meeting with the coaches and the players. Think like a reassurance, like keep your heads up. You know, it's going to be brutal. The stadium might be empty, but we're not going to make any drastic changes. But if they go 0-16, I don't know how that will hold up because going 0-16 is... I mean, they say it now probably like, oh, we'll, we'll get one win. And the players, I'm sure, I hope, believe that too, but... How could it's you? It's tough I, to go 0-16 player... after going 1-15 and keep everyone intact. Yeah, I mean, again, we saw a Jaguars team that did it, you know, like they may not be a Super Bowl contender, but right now they're a far and away better team than the Browns. And you know why? It's because they were, I mean, yes, they built the defense or built that team around, you know, a, a kind of a pretty bad quarterback in Blake Bortles, but at least they stuck with somebody. You know, at least they kept it together. And maybe Hugh Jackson's going to be that guy like Gus Bradley where, you, you take the team for three years and you take the lumps and then you fire a guy and bring in Tom Coughlin and that VP and Doug Marone and it. That's what really draft Leonard Fournette at number four. And that's really the switch that, that turns your franchise around. I just, I just don't know what to do with Deshaun Kaiser at this point. Cause he just, he keeps costing you games more than he's winning you them or even keeping you in them at this point. Quick note. I'd like to point out, it's not as bad as what's at the time of recording, what's going on in Buffalo. I'll where, check right now. Let's see. Yeah, we were we were at five Nate Peterman interceptions when we started recording this episode. The second six half of, just six of fourteen, sixty six yards, five interceptions for Nate. He's Peterman. thrown fourteen passes and five have been picked off, and that's just the, the number could go up. Yeah, I mean we're only one half through one half of football starting the second, so. Uh, it's gonna be a, gonna be a fun game to to watch the rest of the way and see how Nathan Peterman does to see that at least there's somebody worse than the Browns in terms of a coaching staff and handling a rookie quarterback. Well, what do you think is worse? I'll ask you this: the Browns going the way they're going now, or being a Bills fan and being like you know every year kind of like starting off hot and then finishing like seven and nine, and never, never like every year like playoffs this year maybe and then. Patriots whoop you twice or something. 
And your quarterback. I'd still rather be the Bills because at least they're winning football games. There's at least weeks where, okay, maybe they're going to win. Yeah, they they might not, but at least they play halfway decent. I know it's not been that way as of late, but I mean, the Bills went out on national TV and they beat, I think they beat Denver and then the Falcons and like a couple teams back to back. And that I would do like what jumping jacks or cartwheels for the Browns to win a few games in a row against like solid opponents, you know? I agree. It's hey, we went seven and nine, but that means seven times I wasn't banging my head against the wall on Sunday. Yeah, well, I, at, I, at least if you're seven and nine, there's players that are showing improvement, and that there's probably decent quarterback play that gets you, obviously, seven victories or or some sort of running game that you can lean on, like the Bills have in Shady McCoy. I mean, the, the fact that the Browns don't have a, a real threat at running back, and they have a 21 year old rookie. It's just it's tough to see what what the expectations are or what Hugh Jackson's real vision is on offense when I know it's a sad excuse, but he's really given nothing to work with. It'll be interesting once Josh Gordon comes back because I'm convinced they may have gotten rid of him if the team already had a win. But they're like, you know what, we we have to do something to pick up a win. Let's bring back this all pro receiver who hasn't played in years. I want him back, obviously. I'm just saying there was a lot of rumors of, you know, Sashi Brown not wanting to stick with Gordon, but they're 0-10. Could, Could be 0-11 at that point. Could you imagine the PR nightmare that they would get if they were still winless and, like, traded Josh Gordon at the deadline and then, you know, turn around and he's eligible for Week 13 and just starts blowing it up with a team like... Patriots? I, I don't know, whatever team that he would go to, you know. Like, that would be even a worse, like, pouring salt in the wounds of the Browns in not only a winless season, but then saying goodbye to a wide re- an all-pro wide receiver at a position that has been like such a, a desperate hole all year long. I would die. It, they'd probably trade him to, like, the Steelers, and then <laughs> him and Joe Hayden would just be, like, offensive and defensive MVPs in the playoffs. But Team up and just laugh at the Browns. But uh, Gordon think, will be back at practice this week. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see what comes out of there. I mean... He's never been a, a practice player, so to speak, or a lot of reports of him not really trying in practice, not really being a good leader or setting a good example out there. So on a young team, and the, given the fact that he's missed 40-some games, let's see. Uh, I'm anxious to see how he comes out in this week of practice. But well, And that also has to be put in the context of him kind of being on a substance every single day. So hopefully now that changes. I mean, yeah. I can see him not practicing hard when the way he at least – in his own words, described how kind of messed up he was. Yeah. Well, Stephen, it, it wouldn't be a brown Sunday if there wasn't a bombshell Jason Lock and Forest story. And this week, it was so, about something that had been, that we touched on a little bit on Thursday, but something that is, is more on the rumor mill thus far than anything. It, really not finding out more than we've already assumed this far, but at least it's putting some context behind some of the rumors that we've been hearing uh, Jason Lockenfora wrote a piece about Jimmy Haslam and his serious interest in Peyton Manning, um, and, and according to this article, would even be willing to give up a stake in the Cleveland Browns to do so. You know, we've talked about it in the past, but you know, does this change your mind about maybe what you think of this coaching staff in front office if if they're able to bring in a guy like Peyton Manning, even if it does cost a percentage of the team? It's not my ownership. I'm selling. I don't care. <laughs> he could. And the Haslam's own a hundred percent of the team. They sell off a few percent. It's irrelevant. It's like having a stockholder who happens to be Peyton Manning. Well, the just to give you a little bit of context behind that as well. The Browns are currently valued at one billion dollars. So that's insane. If 
if they were, yeah, the worst franchise in the history of sports is valued at a billion dollars. I thought they were $2 billion. For the sake of this argument, we're going to go with $1 billion. But, you know, if he wants to give up 10% to Peyton, you know, that's $100 million, man. That's, I think that even that, if that's chump change for Jimmy, you know, I think that's something, you know, an extra $100 million on top of probably a, a pretty heavy salary that it would cost to get him there. I think that's a better offer than most teams would be willing to, you know, willing to pony up for that kind of position. And it's not like he would get fired being having 10% of the team, you know? So I, a lot of people want to say that it's a spot where, you know, he, he's under too much pressure to turn it around or that he's not going to be, he doesn't want to put himself in such a, you know, a tough spot or put too much pressure on himself. But when you're the president of the team, it all comes down to whether or not you believe in yourself as a president to surround yourself with good people and you know, make the best decisions as, a, as an organization. And I think Peyton Manning can do that for the Cleveland Browns. We talk about it a lot, or we brought it up, where you know some people say, well, he has no experience. Sashi Brown has no experience. A lot of guys don't have experience. The difference between him and Sashi Brown and their experience levels is that Peyton Manning was in the sport and involved in the sport Sashi Brown wasn't really involved in personnel moves or anything. Well, I think that, Peyton, too, was involved in quite a bit more. Yes, he did play on the field, but from what I've read and what I've heard, it's a lot. he was also involved in a lot of things you know, in terms of a general manager level as well. He didn't just go into practice, work on stuff, and leave. He was involved with a lot of uh, just a, f- figuring out how an NFL operations team works. So I, th- I think... Again, he, he's, he's a smart guy, and I think he would do very well in this position by surrounding himself with great people. It's weird, too, because you have the story of the Haslam's meeting with the team. But like I said, at any given time, he could just say, we, Peyton Manning's our president now. Sasha Brown's gone. Hugh Jackson's gone. They did that with Holmgren. He came in, and he gave Mangini, I think. Didn't Mangini win the last four games of the season? I don't think he kept his job. Did he keep his job after that? Holmgren came in in like October. Um, I don't but remember then, if that no, was the year Mancini kept his job. I think it was. Maybe he kept his job for one season, and then Shermer came in after that. That was such a. That feels like so long ago, but it was only like five years ago. Yeah, most teams still have the same coach. I know. Or most good teams, I should say. Like the craziest thing, especially in the, is in the AFC North, and the fact that. Steelers haven't changed coaches. The Ravens haven't changed coaches. Bengals haven't changed coaches in forever. And the Browns seem to just like they're almost irrelevant. <laughs> well, they aren't. They almost aren't. They are irrelevant in the AFC North. But they got to find somebody at some point. At least you'd think that. And Peyton Manning doesn't bringing him in doesn't necessarily mean he's going to find someone like a coach or GM if he's the president. But it's I don't know. It's just something. It's and it we can argue about it. We're not arguing, but you know everyone. I'm, Twitter, at bars, at games, literally wherever, water coolers, can argue about it, but we have no control over it. So if he does come in, I don't think there's a reason to bash the move. And I'm not being a Browns apologist, but you'll literally go insane if they sign Peyton Manning and you're like, this is the dumbest thing ever, but then you still go down to the games. Well, I mean, if if that was my mindset, I would at least have to take solace in the fact that Peyton Manning brings credibility to that position so you're not hiring a 
coordinator to be like a Josh McDaniels who didn't succeed and would bring a lot. It didn't succeed in Denver, but would bring a lot more, you know, skepticism if he were to take over one of those roles like team president or, you know, instead, or even Nick Casario, you know, yeah, he brings a great track record, but a guy like Peyton Manning, you know, he's been nothing but revered around the industry for a long time. So again, you're, you're paying all that money for the credibility of having a guy like Peyton Manning, because if you don't get Peyton Manning, you can't clean house because you're not going to have anybody in there that would be able to bring in the type of talent as a, as a coach or general manager that, that brings a winning football team. Cleaning house at this point, I don't know if doing it or not doing it makes a difference, but I agree with what you said, because if they cleaned house again without a big figurehead there, well, they're going to they they get that. a coordinator. Yeah, they would definitely wait and see uh, until Peyton decides, you know, if Peyton decides he wants to come be the president, then they'll decide what to do after that. But they wouldn't fire anybody until, you know, Peyton has made up his mind as to what he wants to do. I just think it's an interesting, I, I mean, obviously the, the ties run deep back to Tennessee, but if no other owner's willing up willing to give up even any part of their ownership, I think that's a big, big chip in Jimmy Haslam's corner to land Peyton Manning. Heck, even like 2 or 3%, you'd still make a lot of money. The value of the NFL is going up, at least right now. Could crash with the TV deals, but and if again, he makes the Browns I, good. Yeah, he's not going to go in there. I just don't think he's going to go in there and suck. I, I don't. I mean, Elway gets a bad rap now, but he did win a Super Bowl. So I, I don't think, despite how bad you can be, I mean, if you plug a quarterback in on that team, they'd be good too. And it, it would suck to see you know, Peyton Manning step in and take over with the, the top two picks in the draft, take a quarterback, and maybe the same quarterback that Sashi Brown would pick and take credit for all the, all the you know, the crap that Sashi Brown and Hugh Jackson had to endure only for Peyton Manning to be the knight in shining armor. But if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I, I'm, I'm just into win football games at this point. It kind of mirrors the 76ers where Sam Hankey, who's way crazier than Sashi Brown, the letter he wrote when he yeah. was like, oh, he's, I don't think Sashi Brown's, that odd but it's kind of that where now the Sixers are playing well with the players they acquired and people are like well is this Sam Hinkie like should we be thanking him it's like well maybe partially but but you can also thank Sashi Brown for passing on Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson exactly and the Sixers too made some moves like I mean it's different in basketball because they know LeBron was probably going to win the East but well there's only like 14 players on a basketball team versus 53 that like especially you mentioned the NBA with, with one player being able to turn a franchise around, and we we know all too well how that works with LeBron, and that's that's the same kind of position that you that in the NFL that's the quarterback. You know, if you get a, a stud quarterback, you can change a franchise around instantly. But there aren't too many LeBron James or franchise quarterbacks in the draft that can turn your turn your team around like that. And when you let two of them slip through your fingers, it doesn't necessarily get you a good uh, in a good standing with the fan base. So really after this loss, I wrote about it in my recap article, a plug. Um, there's, it, it's just saying the same stuff. So I want to add a little positivity. We want to give a quick shout-out to our friends in Foley, Alabama. All of them. Everyone we encountered. We, we want to be back there. You personally have been looking up real estate. Oh, yeah. And Did sending just- it to me so we could buy a studio. <laughs> not apartment, not a, a house, but a recording studio. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, studio apartment for three people, that'd be uh, just a bit cramped, but what do I know? 
we we'll also give a shout out to Peyton Manning in case he's listening. In case the keyword the keywords from the podcast if he Google's himself. I, mean, I guess that yeah. I, I don't think he's got time for the Dog Pound Daily podcast. But you know, if anyone knows Peyton Manning and wants to th- uh, shoot a little reference his way, you know, I, I think that's that's the least we could ask of our our awesome fans. <laughs> the, the least we could ask is to <laughs> tell if Peyton you happen Manning, to know to Peyton Manning, just shoot the link over his way. Um, Nathan Peterman has since been benched, by the way. So, no way. Yeah, Tyrod Taylor is back in the game. It is forty to ten Chargers over the Bills. Currently, the Patriots are up 24-0 over the Raiders in Mexico City. And the Bengals are beating Denver 13-7. So we will be getting a good glimpse at, at what Cincinnati is going to bring to the table. If they can score 13 on Denver's defense, it's going to be hopefully around this same type of game because that's the only way the Browns are going to have a chance to win next week. Nothing like live scores during a podcast that isn't uploaded until the next day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to – exactly. The Patriots could lose 27-24 and be like, oh, it's crazy. <laughs> but I guess that's what – we should do it live from now. Well, I guess live wouldn't be the same thing unless people would, all like, listen at the same time we're recording. And it's much better editing. People I need promise. to eat dinner with their families. Yeah, speaking of, I don't think we'll be on next week. Am I correct in that? We will not be doing our midweek one because I'm being told it's Thanksgiving and that's a holiday. Yes, it is. So, so watch be... the Iron Bowl. Watch Ohio State, Michigan. Have fun. Eat some turkey. I'll be eating honey baked ham because my family's weird, um, and Isn't I like ham. Your request rum ham. What was that? I thought that isn't the ham your request. It is my request. Yeah, weird so in a weird in a good weird. way. It's, where it's, it's you that's weird. Some people. <laughs> All right, so I'm projecting. Some people eat turkey because you think you're supposed to, but I mean. An excuse to eat some honey baked ham is just it's Easter. it's pure heaven. There's a lot of I mean, I don't know, I get ham from the grocery store, sliced ham all the time. Turkey. A little bit of turkey, but there's nothing like fried turkey on Thanksgiving, so I'll stick with what I know best. Well, there you have it. The Browns are 0 and ten. I'm eating ham on Thanksgiving. Andrew's having turkey. Shouting out our friends in Foley, Alabama. We're looking What's up, looking, Stu? <laughs> Big fans do, and to Reggie as well, and Stephanie. Best of luck in their futures. I feel like I'm firing someone. (laughs) Best of luck in your future endeavors. The Vince McMahon way. But, yeah, enjoy your holiday. We'll have the Browns on again on Sunday. Maybe picking up a win, probably not, but who knows. We'll be back next Monday to recap that game. And maybe for once our intro can come true where we will have a party on Monday after Thanksgiving. No, I don't want to get your hopes up, though, Andrew. No, I'm still not going to be loud, and it's still going to be a bummer. So we'll see you next <laughs> week on Monday. Thanks for listening.